Welcome to episode number 210. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, and you are listening to the Pioneering Today podcast. Everything living homegrown and handmade, modern homesteading to raise, preserve, and cook your own organic food no matter where you live. And I am so glad that you are joining me today. Today's episode is a great one. Well, I happen to think they're all great, but I'm probably a little bit biased. I'm hoping you think the same thing too. But in today's episode, we are going to be talking about some small things that you can do, both small in budget and seemingly probably small in effort or in actual hands-on time, but can make a huge difference in your garden and your harvest. I was really excited because I gleaned some great tips and some new things, and you'll hear all about it in today's interview, and some things that I'm super excited about that I think you will be too. So I'm just going to do a quick introduction to today's guest so that we can jump right to the meat of this episode because it is so good. So today's guest is Amy Woodhouse, who is the owner and farmer of So Edible Farm and Nursery in Warrenton, North Carolina. And Amy has a passion for leading and teaching other sustainable agricultural practices. She holds a master's degree in education and spent 10 years in the elementary school where she fostered a side hobby of learning and experimenting with a variety of sustainable gardening techniques. Six years ago, Amy and her family began developing their off-grid sustainable farm where they go grow through thousands of fruit and nut trees, harvest from a year-round kitchen garden, and live in a passive solar off-grid house that they designed and built themselves. You may know of Amy through her podcast, So Edible, speaking engagements, conferences, and social media. Their farm and nursery offers consulting services, as well as a variety of sustainable plants, trees, and bulbs that they sell both commercially and to retail customers. Amy also has a garden planner that encourages others to find success in their own backyard, which we'll be diving into all of that and some other fabulous tips right now. Okay, let's go straight to today's episode. Real quick, before we get to today's interview, to find any of the different resources that we talk about, because Amy mentions quite a few resources that I think you're going to find really helpful to go deeper on some of the subjects. You can get all of them at the blog post that accompanies this podcast episode. You can find all of that at melissaknorris.com forward slash 210. So just the number 210, because this is episode 210. Okay, now we're really going to it. I am really excited to chat with today's guest and not only just to get to chat with her because I think she's super cool, but I also want to talk with her on some of these topics that are small, both in budget and also in kind of like in the overall scheme of gardening and raising our own food too, but they can have a really big impact on our gardening and on our harvest. And I love things, little things that we can do that have big impact. Amen. Because most of us are a little stressed out with having a ton of stuff to do and can't always tackle what feels like really huge projects. But most of us can find ways to work in those smaller things. And I love that this can be definitely small budget, if not free budget as well. So Amy, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you also. So thank you. 
Yay. I know. I'm very excited. So it's so much fun. I know you guys are listening in, but it's so much fun when you get to, and we're not actually recording this in person, like where we're visually looking at one another. We are doing it over, over the internet, which has its blessings, but it's so exciting. So I hope that you guys as the listeners feel this way too. But when you get to connect with other people who are doing the same thing and they get it and you can glean tips with them. So I always get really excited when I get a talk. I love having repeat guests as well, but when I get to talk to somebody new, cause I'm like, Oh, what new things am I going to learn? <laughs> so yes, exactly. Exactly. I know it's so fun. It's um, so fun to talk with people that have the same types of passions and are, you know, trying to do the same type of thing, just help people be successful in their garden. And so I'm, super excited to talk with you today and talk with all of your audience as well. Yeah. So walk us through just real quick, give us your gardening area, like, you know, like your, your location and kind of your gardening climate and that type of a thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, we are located about an hour North of Raleigh, North Carolina, which is in zone seven B. And, um, we have the most amazing red clay you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> what we would, uh, I guess, call soil. My kids can literally go out back and dig up into the dirt and like make clay, like clay pots, clay little, little things, creatures, and set them out in the sun and have them dry. So we are dealing with um, what most people consider to be very difficult soil. Um, however, I like to also say that that does not mean that you cannot have the most amazing soil with a little bit of work, but um, yeah, but that's what we're dealing with. We are like currently uh, just getting off of, I don't know, like the hottest summer known to man where last week, I'm not lying, our heat index was at uh, 110. And then this week, our high is like 60 degrees. So it's been really oh, wow. weird. <laughs> that's a, that is a huge drop and swing in temperature change, but probably very, very welcome to come down. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. So excited for... And my, my poor fall plants are so excited also. Um, that's not our normal weather patterns. So yeah, we're really enjoying all of the low temperatures. Awesome. Okay, so out of curiosity's sake, so guys, for, for those of you who are listening in, we are recording this in mid-October. So I have had here in Washington, I've had my killing frost this year happened where it wiped out everything warm weather just a week ago. It was late for us. We actually oh, had wow. a oddly very cool and wet summer, even by our standards. So I'm curious, when is your, when do you usually get your killing frost then where you garden? Yeah. End of October, beginning of November. Okay. But I'm telling you, we are way off. And so I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be late this year as well, but you never know. Kind of unpredictable no. sometimes though. So. Yeah, definitely is. And I love this because even if you've been a long time gardener, I think sometimes newer gardeners experience, well, I should say any gardener will definitely experience weather things. Like every year is a little bit different. Some are definitely yes. more extreme, but I think it's really helpful for, for people to realize that, you know, you, you just roll with it and you deal with it and it's a normal part of gardening. Because sometimes I think when they're starting out first, they, you get just really frustrated. And oh, when, you, yeah. when you just realize to expect it, then it's easier to roll with it. Yeah, definitely. And I will say too, we have really realized if you just like go online and plug in your zip code and it tells you this is your last frost date, this is your first, it's like rarely actually accurate. So yeah. the other thing that I would say 
is that kind of falls under the importance of making sure that you are tracking your weather. It's kind of like when you become a gardener, you sort of become like a weather junkie at the same time. It's so funny because um, in our pre-farm life, you know, I, I only looked at the weather to figure out what type of outfit to wear, you know, and now in like farm garden life, it's like, you know, every, you like live by the weather. You're looking at all the forecasts. Uh, do you track your weather? We track our weather. I do actually. Yeah. yeah, we, we do track our weather and, um, my new book that's coming out in January, the friendly garden plan. That's exactly what I recommend. And I say that those, the calculators and stuff that we have online, they're like a guideline. So they're yes. great to give you kind of an average, but there's nothing like having your own records. Yes. And I don't know about where you live, but where we live, cause we're up in the foothills. Like if you just drive 30 minutes away, you can have a couple weeks difference in the frost. Like we'll get yes. our frost a couple weeks. And, and that, when you're looking at those overall calendars where you're punching in your zip code and stuff, they don't really take into account for those micro zones and, right. and just those type of things. Yeah. So I'm totally with you on there. And that was kind of basically guys, you just got a bonus tip on small things that make yes. a big difference <laughs> for free yeah. is that tracking. You're so right. And it's so good to have your own garden and your own farm notes on when those things actually hit. So yeah. I definitely do that. I do it in the springtime as well. And I even kind of do it like on, because the weather can definitely, you can start to see patterns, especially if you've been gardening years and then upon decades. But even, right. you know, like when the trees start to blossom out and then if we get like those sneaky frosts and just kind of different things like that, not just the first and last frost dates, those are, are great. But I have started to track even other things like that or like this is when powdery mildew usually shows up at my house. Yes, so this is what right. I start pruning out some of the leaves on different things, that kind of thing. It's just so invaluable. It is such a little thing, but it definitely can make a big difference. So yes, absolutely. And it's funny because in the world of like writing notes and tracking, you know, I know like sometimes the first reaction to that is like, oh my gosh, it's like another thing I have to do. And I think all of us feel like one more thing might just break us sometimes, but Tracking, like you said, it doesn't have to be every single day. It could be just when there's like something crazy going on with your weather. Like my mom, who um, is here on the farm with us, she writes down every single day. She writes down her temperatures, her lows, her the wind, all this stuff. I'm more of like the something major has happened and I write it down. Like you're kind of describing where it's like, okay, this is, we had our first frost or this is when our temperature suddenly dropped, even if it wasn't a frost. So I think that's kind of important to remember too, so that people don't get overwhelmed. I always like to tell people like, even if you're just doing like the bare minimum, the bare minimum is going to be hugely helpful in the following year. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Okay. And I like, when I grow up, I want to be like your mom. Like that's always my <laughs> me goal. Too, me I just too. never get there. <laughs> I know. Me too. I know. I know. So luckily for me, I have her books to kind of cheat off of now and then if I need to, which is definitely an added bonus of having, you know, family all living in the same area. So, so how long have you guys been on your farm and keeping or, or your mom keeping, I should say that the super detailed records, how much data do you have to go back? So we moved onto our farm six years ago. And so um, that's, we have it going back six years. It's pretty funny because mom and I, we were, so on our farm, it's my husband, Stacy, and then my parents, which are actually technically my in-laws, but we're so close. I never, you know, I don't usually say like my mother-in-law, I just call her mom and dad. 
And so we all moved to the farm together six years ago. And when we moved to the farm, um, I created a way of tracking and planning and figuring out the farm in a spiral notebook with lots of post-it notes. And <laughs> every year we kept tweaking it and changing it. And um, until finally I got it to where it was something that was very simple and easy. And, um, and then I started making it every year for mom and I. And, um, and so actually that's sort of the story behind how our garden planner that we now have available and that we offer to everybody on our website, um, that's actually how it was created. It was actually created for just mom and I to keep track of all of our crazy tracking and planning. So, oh, I love that. I find that's the same way. I think that's the sign of a good product is when it's something that you created to make your own life easier. And you're like, oh my goodness, if this is making my life easier, I know it's going to make somebody else's life easier. And yeah, so I, I love that. And I'm curious, so we've got six years worth of data going back. Have you started to notice some different patterns or different things like that, that then you can apply to the current gardening year by having that many years back of data? Or how closely do you kind of go back and analyze that data to help you have a better garden the next year? Oh yeah, that planner is absolutely vital in our gardening year. So what we realized the very first year we were here was exactly what I was describing before, where we had moved from a completely different area to our farm. And I mean, from completely different states even. And so when we typed in Google, you know, our area code and it spit out our frost dates, we immediately realized they were very, very wrong. And just like you were describing, um, you know, 30 minutes up the street, people are having different frost dates than us. And so we were off by almost two weeks. And that's really, really bad. <laughs> if you're trying to plan out, you know, when to put your plants out and on both ends, you know. And so those details from the very beginning, us writing those things down helped us. And every single year, I feel like we've been able to tweak it, make it better. And so we always, before I sit down and do garden planning, we always look back at our previous year's planner and go through it and see, you know, what was going on, not just with the weather, but also with everything else, like your seeds and your plants and where we even the location of where we put certain things and how they did. And to be able to go back and look at that and go back, like you said, even several years is so helpful. I can't tell you how many decisions have been made based on that, that have really made our lives so much easier. So I feel like every year we just keep improving and the garden and the orchards and everything just get easier and easier to manage because we have those records. Do you have like an exact example of like where you've looked at, you know, the thing and then you're like, okay, we need to make this change because we've witnessed that? Sure. So let's stay here. For example, when we were putting in our blueberry plant, so we have an orchard up at the top of the farm. We also have trees. We plant very permaculture style. So we have trees within our garden. We have plants and trees intermixed everywhere, but we primarily have a big area up at the top where we've intermixed fruit trees, nut trees, berry bushes, you know, kind of like food forest style where things are at different levels. And mm -hmm. our blueberries, we were trying to decide within the world of blueberries, which variety would work best for us. And 
What you want to look for in that is the bloom times, of course, because you want your frost date. You don't want it to frost after your blueberries have flowered because then you'll lose your harvest. So you might have these gorgeous blueberry bushes, but then never be able to have blueberries. And it's like that with all of your fruit trees. And so this is a lot of times um, in some of our consulting, we get people that say, but I have, you know, all these trees and they're beautiful and they're strong and healthy, but they never produce fruit. And a lot of times that's where the mix match is, is that that specific plant variety is um, not matched up to when you're having your frost days. And so for us with the blueberries, for example, it made our decision-making on which variety we should go with because we knew exactly, and again, exactly in the world of gardening, you know, means within a week, usually not an exact day, but within a week. So we were able to then pick, you know, specific varieties, later blooming varieties that then we can almost guarantee every year of getting a harvest from. And we do have some varieties of blueberries that are also more of like a middle ground. And so some years we will get to harvest off of those and some years we won't. But most of ours, we um, were able to then figure out where to invest our money also into those types of varieties so that we could have more of them that will most likely produce every year. Okay, got it. And I love that tip. And yeah, especially with your fruit trees, it's important for some varieties, not just blueberries, but when we're talking orchards, just for people, when you have the record of your average last frost date in the springtime and then in the fall, and you have a record too is great. So you've got that. And then you also want to calculate your chill hours. So this is where that very granular tracking, like your mom is doing, where she's writing down what your specific temperature is every single day comes in effect when you've got plants, which are going to be like your berries and your fruit trees that require a certain amount of time of chill hours. So I believe off the top of my head, it's like 40 degrees Fahrenheit um, or lower for so many hours throughout the year in order for them to actually produce fruit. So a lot of times you can be in a climate that's kind of borderline, but if you've got that data, we're like, no, on my property, it's been, I've got this amount of chill hours. And then looking for varieties, if you are on the precipice of not having enough chill hours, there are varieties within apples and those different fruit bushes and trees that require less chill hours than others. So that's really important. To have this data, especially when you're planning out, like you said, more of the perennials and more of the permaculture type thing and bringing in those so that you are choosing that correct one for you. And also I've noticed too, is a lot of times there's that. And then when you're picking those bloom times, not just with your frost date, but also for your cross pollination, because if you've got an apple tree, that's an early bloomer, and then you're trying to cross pollinate it with one that's a late bloomer the likelihood of them having blossoms on at the same time is going to be for such a short period. You're likely not to get everything pollinated. So, so many great tips there on that. So I love how you're using your data. Um, That's so much fun. And I also, I know you've got some tips because she told me them beforehand, you guys. So that's how I know this. (laughs) Um, That I want to make sure we cover because a lot of my listeners, um, I know deal with having maybe not as much red clay as you do in their soil, but a lot of people deal with having, and I don't, we don't have clay soil. I have, I'm lucky. I have really great topsoil. I have a few areas that are sandy. So then I'm incorporating, you know, compost and whatnot in them, but I don't personally deal with having the clay soil and the new host of problems that that can provide. to <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I would love, and I know that one of your tips ties into building up the soil. So I would love for us 
to go into that because I know that's something a lot of people are really going to benefit from. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, you know, building up your soil, no matter what type of soil you have, and I'm sure you agree with this, it's like absolutely the secret sauce, if you will, of your garden success. And it is like absolutely 100% vital that, um, that you spend a little bit of time learning about how to build your soil and then picking and choosing different things that you can implement based on the type of soil that you have. And I would definitely recommend, we always recommend to all of our listeners and um, our consulting clients that if you don't really know where to begin with that, so that it would be worth all of your money to be able to go and get a really good soil test. And you can, of course, bring your soil up to County Extension Aid office and you will get like a picture of your soil. However, it's like kind of like just a small little picture. And so we recommend um, a place called Logan Labs and we are not associated with them at all. This is just like our favorite place to go. We tell everybody to go to them because we feel like they give you such an amazing detail of exactly where your soil is and what you need to do to improve it. And so people that are specifically in our situation of the the red clay madness, we've got so many things that need to be going on to fix our soil that a lot of people feel very overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. And so Logan Labs, running your soil test through them, you will get a very, very detailed picture of what to do. And there's so many things that go into soil building. I mean, we could talk literally all day about soil building, but what I thought would be one thing that could, that would be a small thing, but that would make a really big difference no matter what type of soil that you had was um, implementing compost tea. And specifically, um, if you have comfrey, which is a plant that is um, super awesome, and making a tea out of that to spray on your garden, um, you will be able to do so much for your soil building. And this is something that you don't need. You can just use the things that you have in your backyard. You don't have to go out and buy anything fancy. And basically what it is, well, first of all, if you have a plant called comfrey, which is like one of my most favorite plants on earth, it is super high in phosphorus and potassium and trace elements when you use it in a tea to apply to your garden. If you have that, you can make what I'm about to describe to you with just the comfrey. If you do not have that plant, don't worry. You can just fill a bucket full of any green matter that you have in your garden or like around the edges. And so, you know, you're talking about like kind of like when you're pulling your weeds and your leaves and as long as it's green, we're not talking about dead leaves, but green, cut all that and you put it into a bucket and basically just fill the bucket down. Again, there's no like exact science behind it. You just shove a whole bunch of it in the bucket and you pour water on top of it and you throw a brick in there or something heavy and you just let it sit there. And what's going to happen is that it, over the course of time, it's going to pull out all types of nutrients and minerals and it creates a very, very healthy compost tea that you can then apply to your garden. And so in about four to five weeks, you strain it, you dilute it to a 10 to one ratio, which would be 10 parts water to one part of the tea. And then you just spray it on your garden and we apply it to our garden every two weeks. You could either use a watering can 
or if you have a sprayer, like we have this really awesome backpack sprayer that is most likely not meant to be used for composting. <laughs> But it's so, it makes life so much easier because you can fill it up and it holds a lot of it at one time. And then you can just walk around spraying your garden. We have that compost tea just brewing like constantly. And every two weeks, pour it into the backpack sprayer, dilute it and walk around and spray it on your garden. And it's something that everybody has access to and it's super easy and it'll help build your soil and help um, build your plant with healthy nutrients. So. I love that. And, you know, the, so the county extension office on the soil test, just to put that out there, like most county extension offices, like Amy said, will perform that for you. And they either do it for free or like a really small fee. I live in an area, believe it or not, my county does not offer that. So I actually have really? to use. And oh yeah, God. I know. I feel like I'm the only person in the I, U.S. that that's I, the case for. I think you are. Oh my God. <laughs> it's awful. But, well, it's not so awful, but because like I would, recommend you know kind of bypassing that anyway but that's right rising oh my gosh that's man it's, it's really crazy and so luckily i'm assuming it's very similar to to the lab that you recommended is we do have a local lab and it's the same thing that you can get like the 12 uh, macro and micronutrient levels and they'll go in really depth like how much of organic matter you have along with your ph and all those macro and micronutrients and so I'm with you and it's relatively inexpensive. I want to say it's like $24 yeah. for them to do that deeper level test. And it's, it's been really helpful. So I totally am with you on that. And we'll have links to both those um, in the blog post that goes with this episode, guys, so that you can check that out further if that's something that you want to take a peek at. But I do have a couple of questions because I've actually not done the compost tea. I, I do big old compost piles, but I haven't done the tea. So my question is, like say you got a five gallon bucket, like how much do you usually do like halfway, three quarters, like how much of the green material are you putting in? Just like a rough guesstimate before you fill it with water. Yeah. So I usually fill it all the way up past the top of the bucket and then like mash it down in there. <laughs> okay. And that basically by the time you mash it down in there, it's filling, you know, about halfway or three fourths of the way full. Okay. Perfect. And then do you, let it just sit like for two weeks because you cut you said, you know, you guys are applying every two weeks and you're just doing it on a continual basis throughout the growing months. Or do you let it go? Is there like a timeline like a, or just kind of when you're ready to use it or when things look broken down when it's do you know when it's ready to go? Yeah. So it takes about four to five weeks for it to get at its. OK, basically at its best. But it doesn't it's not exact in the sense that you have to then use it at four to five weeks it actually just keeps improving. You just like kind of let it go and use it. Like we will have it made and then we'll pull off of it until it's gone. So I won't start okay. pulling off of it until four to five weeks, but it just keeps on going down. And then sometimes I'll then add to it and then fill it back with water. And I actually, on my website, I actually have a like how to make uh, compost tea sort of brief like recipes. So I'd be more than happy to give you the link to that if you want to share that. Just it's kind yeah, of step-by-step, yeah. step, like easy way of doing it. But yeah, it's super easy. And like I said before, if you have come free, that kind of like ups the ante, if you will. So that's like one of those superstar plants. Do you grow comfrey? I'm sure you grow comfrey. Yeah, believe it or not, I don't have comfrey. I have a neighbor that has a huge patch. And yeah. so 
I, I get it from them. Oh, <laughs> so having good neighbors is such a good thing. I know, oh, like, yeah. I, I know I got all quiet. <laughs> you oh, caught me. No, no, I have their permission. I promise. That's but um, <laughs> I have it mainly because I can't decide. It's like that perilous of decision. I'm like, I can't yes. decide where I want to plant on my homestead. So I just haven't yet, which is really dumb. And all honestly, it's just no, it's fine. Hey, I mean, if you have someone that has it, and they don't care. I mean, hey, why not? You know, I mean, that's cool. I was just giving you a hard time, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the comfrey is super easy to grow and there's two, there's different kinds of comfrey out there. So you kind of want to be careful about which one you choose only because there's one variety that will send out runners that will actually send out runners like underground and then pop up. And that's where comfrey gets like its bad name because right. people that have that variety are really like, I don't want to plant this anywhere in my yard. I definitely want to steal that from my neighbor because. <laughs> and that's <laughs> where I'm at. Yeah. I've heard yeah, it's because so invasive. It be yeah. Yeah. Because it's very invasive, but there's another type of comfrey. It's the comfrey that we use. We actually sell comfrey sometimes when we have it. And it's actually the Russian balking number four. Okay. And that is the, actually the one that's medicinal and it's non-invasive. So it'll spread by the crown of the plant, but it won't be sending out runners. So it's very easy to manage. For all of you that are thinking, I need to run out and get comfrey, just make sure when you do that you pay attention to which one you're getting. <laughs> Perfect. And that's, on, that's one of the reasons I haven't planted it because I'm like, I need to put it in a spot that I, it's not a big deal if it starts to get invasive. Yeah. And then I try to convince my husband that, Let's plant, because we already deal with blackberry vines that are not native here, but they're super invasive. There's two varieties. And so I'm like, I don't know if he's going to be very happy with me <laughs> if I plant this. So and I hadn't dug right. into the research to know there was one that wasn't as invasive. So thank you yeah. so much for sharing that. Yeah. yeah such a valuable tip if, to be putting it in. And it is such an awesome plant, which is why I do steal. Don't steal it. With permission, I gather <laughs> from my neighbor. <laughs> you just borrow some forever. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I have information about that type of comfrey on my website also. So it, that way, if people want to look for it and they want to make sure they're not, they're getting the right one, um, yeah. I do put that on there. So yeah, awesome. free to check it out. But yeah, comfrey is also super awesome in other ways. It's not just for a compost tea, but people also use it for fodder for chickens and all different types of different poultry because it's super high in protein. It's actually higher than alfalfa, which is like shocking. And so some people actually grow it in like huge fields and then cut it and use it as a, as a part of a fodder system. Goats and rabbits also like it. I can't imagine how much you'd have to grow for a goat. I mean, it would definitely have to be like just a special treat versus like an actual like system of helping with your feed. But for chickens and ducks, is a great fodder system to use. So. Oh, that's great. So it doesn't bother them like it does humans ingesting it, the alkaloids. Correct. It must not interact with their system the same way it does as us. That's I right. Correct. That yeah. Okay. Awesome. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I know it more as like the medicinal, like I get it to make salves and, and that yeah. type of thing and creams, but I didn't even think of it for the chickens. So, okay. Now I have multiple reasons to put it in. So <laughs> yes, and you need to put it around your chicken. So what we do is we put it in around our chicken coops. We also plant it, interplant it in our garden because people also in the world of permaculture use it as a chop and drop where you chop the leaves off and then like just literally 
lay it or drop it down along your garden plants and let it just decompose that way also like a mulch kind of like a living not a living mulch because it's chopped but yeah like right. a mulch love it that's awesome. right yeah and it has multiple bloom times for your pollinators so every time when you chop it you like chop the whole thing off like as if you're like cutting the whole plant off in fact the first time you do it it's a little scary you're like oh no i'm gonna kill my plant but you're not it grows back real quickly and every time it does it'll throw off blooms and so people also grow it for their pollinators for their bees because it does have multiple bloom times so it fills in during those times when other things maybe are not in bloom so that's another good thing about it like i said it's one of those like super plants that you're just like oh my gosh this is the best plant ever <laughs> i love it and so that is how you build up obviously with a compost tea for your guys's clay soil like an easy and fast way to get nutrients to the plant do you have any other just real quick tips on building up your clay that red clay soil so that it obviously provides you with amazing produce <laughs> yes for sure i mean you would want to we are big time no till we don't we don't we kind of when we teach people how to do their gardens we say okay till it once and be done and then cover it. And so we're big on a deep mulch method with wood chips, as well as implementing like fungi and, and making sure that you are applying. We use a lot of chicken manure. So we kind of have a system where we use our chickens also for their manure, and then we apply that to the garden. So it's kind of like a self-contained little system going on. And we've been doing Facebook Lives and we're about to go into soil building here in another month or so. So where we're going to step-by-step go through exactly what we do for soil building. I'm going to take people out in my garden and show them that. So be sure to check that out. But I mean, that would be the things if I was going to say, what would I go and learn about? I would be learning about deep mulch method, introducing uh, fungi into my soil, which is so fun and what a wild world of interesting things that is and then also the use of manure or some type of a compost aside from the compost tea i'm talking about like actual like chicken manure or if you have other animals on your farm um, or if you don't you know finding a way to get some and applying that as well yeah i'm with you this is the time of year i actually let the chicken coop get a little bit not icky but the inside oh. like i'll let it get full i know i'm like this yes. sounds so bad but I'll let it get full because fall, like right now, this is when I layer it. I like layer it on my perennials yep. all, all around them. And then the same thing in the garden bed. And then even in the high tunnel in the greenhouse, like I lay it all on right now and, and mix in the leaves that are falling and chop those up and just do like, yeah. And then just let it sit all winter. Yeah. It's such a good time. And yeah, the manure, I'm really big on using the animal manure so that the farm's working full circle. So Totally with you there, but I haven't introduced the, any of the purposely, I should say, I haven't <laughs> purposely any fungi, though what you do get to see like the cool matting and all the stuff that happens when you've got those layers of mulch and stuff that are going through the process. It's kind of fun to watch it. Do you have like, I know this is like totally side topic, but I just can't help but ask. So do you have like, um, like a, a top couple of when you're going to introduce fungi, like that you recommend that people start with? Yeah, so there's so many different ones you can introduce and really it's kind of like what is the purpose that you want to get out of it. So there's some that are edible that you could then introduce and 
safely know what you're eating. Now, of course, in the wild world of mushrooms, you have to be extremely careful about just going out and picking mushrooms. I'm not a huge advocate of that, but there's certain mushrooms that you can grow that are very distinguishable. So if you specifically know that you have put them in your garden, when they come up, they look like nothing else. You can't like mistake them for something that would normally be there. Um, And so like we use, uh, for example, like King Strophoria is one of my favorite. But if you wanted to learn about that, I tell you what, the guru of this, in my opinion, would be um, Trad Cotter, who is from Mushroom Mountain. Him and his wife, Olga, they have that whole realm so nailed down. They have a book. You can go out to their farm and visit um, them. And they also sell like all different kinds of mushrooms and different options that are out there. And they are the absolute people that you would want to go to if this interests you at all. They're really good people, super, super knowledgeable. And they also would have all the starters that you would need. So I would shove everybody that direction. I just think that would be well worth anyone's time that wants to get into that. And like I said, Chad will be able to tell you, or his wife, Olga, will be able to tell you exactly what you need. They're super awesome people. Oh, great. I will, guys, we'll get a link to that and pop that into the blog post of today's episode. And I'll actually contact them and see if I can get them on the podcast. And I, so we do forage mushrooms, but we know exactly in our area, all the safety precautions, which is, is key. If you don't know, yeah, mushrooms can be very dangerous. But on the other hand, when you've done your homework and ideally went out with somebody and not just using an app as an identification, but you actually can have like that hands-on experience from someone who's very knowledgeable in it. Mushrooms, oh my goodness, they're like foraging for mushrooms and eating are some of my family's favorite pastime. And I've never really, we're lucky enough on part of our property, morels grow in the spring, which is one of our favorites. But I never even thought about trying to inoculate some of the other ones and grow them at home, especially as part of soil building. So You've given me so many things to get <laughs> out about on this. I'm like so excited to, to Yay, try. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You would love to talk to Chad. I did an interview with him all about soil building. He is so fun to talk to. So yeah, you need to reach out to him. He's, he's, he's awesome. You'll, okay. you'll enjoy that. Perfect. Guys, we'll get him on the show. I promise. So if you've got <laughs> questions about that, <laughs> be sure to send them to me before I record it so I can ask him because I think it'll be really fun. But yeah. I want to get back to, because Amy, you've got so much awesome knowledge that you're sharing <laughs> with us too. I don't want to sidestep that. Thank you. That. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So we've went over the tracking and how important that can be. And we've talked about the compost tea, yay, and different ways to build up your soil. Did you have another tip that you wanted to go over that kind of that small thing, small in budget, doesn't take a huge amount of time, but can have a big impact on the garden? Yeah. I mean, I think making a plan, we sort of touched on that as far as tracking and planning and taking the time before you start your gardening year to sit down and look over the entire homestead, really, whether if you're a backyard gardener that is only has your garden, and I don't mean only like as in like, that's a small thing, because trust me, that's an amazing thing. But Also, if you're a homesteader and you have things like chickens or other systems going on, taking the time to sit back and look at the whole picture and look and say, okay, you know, like what do we have that that's going really well? What do we have that needs to be figured out? 
what areas do I want to improve on? What areas like do I are just absolutely rocking it this year and I'm just gonna like do the same thing? Looking at all of that and then just sort of figuring out what you could do for the next year. So picking out all your plants and all your seeds. And if you have, um, have all this written down every year, this gets easier and easier because you can look back in your notes and you can say, okay, this plant is awesome. This variety was fabulous. Or you could say, oh, you know, like this variety, I spent my whole summer trying to keep this thing alive. There has to be a better option, you know? And then you kind of get an idea of what, where you need to spend your time um, which will make you more efficient, of course. And then we've also found that like laying out your plants and where you're going to put them and figuring out all of your spaces and then literally mapping all of that out really gives you such a head start when it comes to the time to actually put all those plants in the ground because then you're not out standing out there, which I think every gardener has done this, where you're standing out in the middle of your garden and you're like, okay, I just planted something here. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember how big it's going to get, but I have a space over here. And then, you know, trying to stand there in the moment, making all those decisions, you're wasting your time, first of all, when really, if you had it written down, you could just be looking at your plan and throwing it right there in the ground. But also you're going to kind of, that's where mistakes start to happen, where you start to plant things that you forget what they even are. So you're kind of like waiting six weeks or eight weeks to figure out what you even planted there to begin with, all those kinds of things, taking the time to figure those out ahead of time, it allows your year to flow so much easier. And of course, not going to make it foolproof. I mean, you have to deal with weather and obviously things that are out of your control. But if you can sit back and try to pinpoint all the things that you can control, get ahead of all your projects and figure out what materials do I need? and make sure you have them ahead of time or that you've planned it out so that you have also financially figured out how much it's going to cost. And if that's a project you're even going to do this year, you know, all those things really use time, make it easier and make your entire garden flow so much easier and really avoids like the overwhelm and the stress that a lot of us feel, especially because a lot of times People get stressed out, not at the very beginning of their garden year, but like halfway through when everything feels like it's happening at once. You know, you've got like your weeds are starting to grow and your plants, you're trying to figure out which plants you're supposed to be harvesting, which ones are supposed to go in the ground when. And if you figure all of that out ahead of time, we do like a month by month to-do list in order to really get a good monthly picture of what you need to do as well as what's about to happen <laughs> that just changes everything for your year and again if you don't have a planner even just getting a notebook and writing those things down and and sorting through those as a beginning step i mean that is so crucial and of course if you wanted to go up a notch from that we have a garden planner that we created exactly for this. And um, what's funny is, is that the garden planner, back when I was telling you that mom and I created this garden planner for, for ourselves, we actually, the reason that we even published it was because we had a whole bunch of our listeners kept contacting us like, 
what is this garden planner you keep talking about? I've looked everywhere for a garden planner. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, okay, I'll just throw mine out there. And I really, um, when I did that last year, I really had no idea like how well perceived it would be. And so this year we we tweaked it and put it back out there. But anyways, that is like a huge thing. I think that if people would do that, I think that would make such a difference. Yeah, I'm with you. Planning is huge. And I feel that coming off of your garden right now, as at, when, if you're listening to this, as soon as it got published in the fall, it's such a good time because even if you didn't take a lot of notes, like we're talking about during the gardening season, most of it is still fresh enough in your mind that you can jot all of that down now, at least the majority of it. You still know where crops were planted, even if you've pulled them out. So you can do a quick graph. You still have stuff in the ground. Like I still have the majority of my, um, obviously all my fall and winter crops are in the ground. Right. Most of my summer stuff has been pulled. You can even use your smartphone. Just take a quick picture. And then next year, especially with your crop rotation too, if you're following that, then it's going to be like, okay, this is where I had the kale. So obviously I don't want to put a brassica in this spot again. You know, I want to make sure I'm, I'm loading that up with some nitrogen. You know, all of those little things, if you just have those records. And so even if you're like, I didn't get that done this year, it's not too late to take some of those just from memory, if that's what you've got, because right. we're close enough. Go ahead and just jot them down now, just like Amy was saying. And then next year you'll have that because by then, and I know it's not just because I'm getting older, because amen, we're all getting older. <laughs> but like right. seriously, when you've got like, because we've had our garden here, I'm going on 21 years, and they start to run together in your mind. Like yes. you're going to think, I'm going to remember what I put here last spring. And the right. next spring comes and you're like, well, was that last year or the year before I had that? <laughs> That's what I, happens with me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can totally, I mean, 21 years. Oh, my gosh. That's a dream come true, Melissa. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. But, I mean, that's happening with me on year six. Yeah, it's really. Yeah. Honestly, that was happening with me on year two. <laughs> we really want to I don't know. I don't know if that's, like, from having, like, crazy children running around me all the time and feeling like my brain is split in half anyway. But, like, you're exactly right. I mean, you're just not going to be able to remember all. I mean, most people can't. I, I will, I say most people because my husband, Stacy has one of those like incredibly amazing memories where he literally can memorize all that. It, it really aggravates me to be honest, because I'm like, how do you remember all that? But I think that's most of us cannot do that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm there. Like, if, yeah, if you have photographic memory, like, like, amen, you are blessed, probably. Right. Yes. That as well. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, for most of us, like, just having those records. And then if you do remember, awesome, you don't need them. But if you forget, you can go back and grab them. And it's so funny because before Amy and I started recording this, she actually had to email me, you guys, because I was late to our time. <laughs> and Amy didn't know it. And I didn't know it. I didn't know you had a garden planner. And I'm actually working on a garden planner right now that's going to come out in like a year. So I'm just cracking up as we're going through this whole episode because I'm like, yeah, it's a real thing and it's totally needed and it can make your garden so much better. And I know it to be true for me, but I love hearing that another gardener has the same experience because it's like, yeah. yeah, like, yes, it does help so much. It's, it's such solid advice. And I feel like we could talk for hours and just learn so much from one another and share and help our listeners and all of that with their gardeners. But I know neither one of us and you who are listening to this as well don't have hours to do at one yes. sit down. So tell everybody, Amy, I definitely would love to have you back on the podcast again, but tell everybody where the best place for them to hook up with you and continue their journey with the gardening with you. Sure. Awesome. Um, 
So we have a podcast called So Edible Podcast. That's S-O-W-E-D-I-B-L-E. And you can jump on there on anything, anywhere you can get podcasts, iTunes or wherever. We have a website, which is soedible.com. And again, it's S-O-W-E-D-I-B-L-E.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. And again, it's all So Edible. And so, yeah, we're also doing Facebook Lives and we would love to have anyone and everyone join us just to share exactly, you know, all the basics of how to have success in your garden. And Melissa, thank you so much for having me on here. It was so fun to chat with you and I am looking forward to chatting with you again soon on our podcast. And again, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's been so fun. It has, it has been fun. Thank you for coming on. And yeah, guys, you go check out her podcast. And then I know we mentioned a lot of things that Amy's got on their website. And so I will make sure and have direct link to those as well in the show notes and the blog post. So you guys can, can find all those and just get all that good info to put into your garden. So thank you so much. And yeah, I can't wait to talk with you soon either, Amy. I hope that you guys enjoyed that episode and Amy and her knowledge as much as I did. Remember to grab any of the links and things that we mentioned. You can get those at melissknorris.com forward slash 210. And thank you so much for spending this time with us. I can't wait to be back here with you next week.